Welcome to On The Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On The Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On The Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. This week, I sit down with Becca North, author, educator, and expert on the benefits of failure. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of On The Spot. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey. Every week, I'm excited to bring you yet another incredible, relatable role model. And today, we are welcoming Becca North, who is an author, psychology professor, and happiness expert. We'll look forward to diving into that later because I know that she's a happiness and a failure expert. (laughs) I'll tease you with that one, but we'll get into that story in a minute. So welcome, Becca. Really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Melinda. I'm I'm happy to be here. So what I love to do always when I start these interviews is I always want to go way back. I want to know what your big dream was when you were growing up, because I think that sometimes we get stuck on thinking, wow, my path's supposed to be straight and the path is never straight. So I would love for you just to talk about, you know, what that big dream was for you and what you thought you'd be doing when you grew up. So I think this kind of speaks to who I am now that I don't remember having a single dream or like a single idea of what I wanted to do. I don't even know if this is accurate or not, but I have a memory of kind of sitting in my childhood room and thinking of five things that I wanted to do, which I really feel like speaks to who I am now. And I remember I had an idea that I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be a psychologist and I wanted to be an actress. And those are the three that come to mind. And I can't remember what the other two were, but that really speaks to who I am now. I have an interdisciplinary background. I also have interests in writing and teaching and speaking. And so I think that that idea that there wasn't just like one dream or one goal really speaks to who I am and how I am now. That's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, when you're growing up and you sort of think, you know, psychologist, teacher, okay, I get that knowing what you do now, but actress. So tell me a little bit about being an actress. Did you ever fulfill any of that dream or were you just a child actor or No, I was definitely not a child actor. I think that I have maybe in small ways in my teaching and just in my life, I'm very expressive. So I think that that's probably what I was feeling when I wanted to be an actress is like, I like to communicate and I like to express. And in some ways I like to be a goofball. I got into trouble in elementary school, some for talking too much or being too expressive. (laughs) And I took acting classes one year when I was doing a range of things like taking acting classes and guitar lessons and and art classes, kind of an in-between year. And I love those acting classes, but I haven't really ever had an opportunity or a real desire to pursue it in a formal sense in terms of doing theater or trying to be in a small film. But I kind of do have this like sense in me that I find that interesting and appealing. And I think the big part of it is expressing and communicating and really connecting with other people. Right. And I can totally see that helping you being a professor and especially, you know, students these days, you got to, it's like hard to keep anyone's attention these days, certainly (laughs) young people. So um, I would imagine that comes in handy. Yes, (laughs) for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about your book because you are an author and you published a book, which is called Your Hidden Superpowers how the whole truth of failure can change our lives. It was inspired by, you know, what you saw as a pretty big personal failure. I would love for you to just kind of tell us about that failure and how it inspired this book in you. 
<laughs> so I will. So if I back up just a little bit, it's one of those things that as soon as you start studying a topic and then you think you found the point at which you began, you realize that there are all these points before that, you know, your interest began even earlier. But I was a history major in college. And as a history major, I read about people like Lincoln and Grant and Churchill who had these huge failures before they went on to have tremendous success. And when I was in graduate school in psychology, I just started thinking more about that. I'm like, is that just a coincidence or could there be a connection between failure and success? And I decided to study that for my dissertation. So I looked at the connection between failure and psychological success or flourishing and how we can respond to failure in a way that allows us to extract those growth benefits and to flourish afterwards. So I was doing my research and I was getting really excited by my findings and I was near graduation at this point. So I was near finishing my dissertation and I talk about this in the book, but for reasons that are really too boring to explain, I had applied for this postdoctoral fellowship that looked very likely that I would get it. It was like over a year in the process and I had applied this first round and done very well. And then I'd done these revisions and I was going to apply again. It looked like it was going to happen. And it didn't happen. And it actually didn't happen in a really big way. I got online at this time. You could check your score for how you did online. And I saw that after having applied and done well the first time and then done like a month of revisions, this was a very drawn out process to address all the things that I could do better. I actually scored worse on the second round than I did on the first round. And it was clear that I was definitely not going to get the funding for this fellowship. And it was in March of 2010. I still remember because I had gone out to watch a Duke basketball game. I love Duke basketball. And it was during March Madness. I'd gone out to watch a game. I think it was at the Lavaca Street Bar in Austin, but that's probably not relevant. But I came home and I was like, I'm just going to check to see if the score was there. The score was there. I was blown away because, again, I mean, this was like almost unthinkable. I'm like, how can I have spent a month revising something to address all the concerns that these reviewers brought up? And then I did worse and not just like a little worse. I did, I really did a lot worse and there's no chance I'm going to get funding. So I was really disappointed. I was very bummed. I was devastated. I had this idea come flying into my mind and I was like, do you know what I want to do? I was like, I actually want to explore the connection between failure and success in a more personal, more creative way and to interview people who inspire me from a wide range of careers because I have an interdisciplinary background. So I wanted to talk to people in poetry and literature and business and education, sports, history, et cetera, about what role, if any, failure played in their success. And then to integrate those stories with my scientific research to write a book about the relationship between failure and success. That really is the night that this idea came into my mind. And I've talked about this before, but for all the things in our lives, whether it's a hobby or a friendship or a romantic relationship or an interest in something, whether it's personal or professional, so many times we can't really pinpoint like when something started. That's the case for me, at least. This is one thing I'm like, I remember the night that I got this idea, the night. And it didn't let go. And there were a lot of phases, times when I couldn't work on it, times when I only had a little bit of time to work on it. I was doing a lot of things in between, but it never left me. And it was almost nine years between the time that that idea came into my mind and the time that the book was published. Wow. So tell us a little bit more about what you found. So you uncovered some you know, great research, you interviewed some incredible people. And what were some of those key aha moments that you had with the book? Well, there were a lot. I think one had to do, well, this really comes from the research, but one has to do with the way that we respond to failure. So a lot of us um, think, how should you respond to failure well? Well, that means being positive and persisting. 
So be positive and never quit. But more recent research, including my own, has shown, whereas that's associated with resilience, which is like recovering from failure, there's actually this other possibility, which is growing from failure, which is not just bouncing back or not just recovering or getting back to the level that you were before, but actually growing and getting better than what you were before. And as it turns out, the way that we respond to failure in a way that's associated with growing is really different than the way we respond to it in a way that's associated with resilience. So in contrast to be positive and persist, it's actually accept negative emotions, which means allowing them to surface, acknowledging that they're there without trying to suppress or control them or without trying to ignore or deny them to really allow them to come up. And then the second piece is to engage with a goal that's even more meaningful than the one that you were going for when you failed. So let that information that comes from failure about what you really care about and what you don't care about as much inform what you do next, that might involve quitting or that might involve continuing on that path, right? Or that might involve continuing on that path while you start something else. But the key piece is to engage with something that's even more meaningful than what you were doing before. And that combination of things is associated with growth. And that's one thing that I think is exciting and and really different. It is interesting because I think the number one thing that I hear when people talk about being afraid, you know, especially in business, it's it's the fear of failure. Yes. And I think probably that, that goes across all aspects of our lives, you know, anything, you know, stepping out and doing anything new, that fear of failure. And oftentimes it actually holds us back. In fact, I would say a lot of yeah. times, and especially with women holding that back and, you know, women who are maybe a little more siloed and don't have a tribe that are really mm-hmm. supporting them. So what have you found that maybe kind of explains what this rabid fear of failure is? Like, what is it that's made us so afraid? <laughs> I love that question. And I think what it comes down to and this is really, you're hitting at the essence of the book in a lot of ways, it comes down to the way that we think about failure. And the way we think about it is that it's all bad, that it's purely bad. And in that case, it makes a lot of sense to prioritize avoiding that and to be very afraid of something. If you think that something is completely bad and bad in a big way, then you really don't want to do it. And that is how we think about failing. That's a prevailing view of failure is that failure is bad. And as a result, we prioritize not having that or not doing that, right? So whether we kind of say it or not, avoiding failure can be a big goal in the moments of our lives and also in the broader scope of our lives. And so what I'm trying to highlight is that what I found for this book is that that's actually not accurate. That is a part of the truth. And I think that's important to say that failing is painful and Mm -hmm. failing is actually painful for people who have- Yes, I believe I've experienced that many times. Yes, exactly. Which, uh, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. You might think like if you just hear that, yes, okay, I do think it's painful. But a lot of times we don't get those messages because people don't talk about that. And especially people in positions of power or people who we view as successful rarely talk about failure. and They talk even less about how painful failing is. So there is a negative aspect, and that's a, there's a section in my book called The Dark, in which I talk about the pain that's associated with failure, and that pain is universal. The people who I interviewed talked about that pain, as well as the humiliation. So that is a slice of the truth, but there's this whole other part of the truth, which is what I call the light side of failure, which is the enormous benefits of failure and the tremendous growth that comes from failure that can have a, a hugely positive impact on our lives. And I think when you see more of the whole truth of failure, then that kind of organically diminishes the fear. 
which diminishes the barriers or the limitations in our lives. But it's not in a forced way. Like I said, I go back to that idea of if you have this belief, which our society has really kind of promulgated, that's been around for a long time, that failing is bad, it is very bad, then it makes a lot of sense that you'd be afraid of it, right? And if that were the truth, then I would say, you know, that stinks, but that's just one of those hard truths that we have to deal with. That failing is completely bad and we fear it and we probably should fear it. But what I think is so exciting is that what I found in this book is that that is only a narrow slice of the truth. That is a misleading and wrong belief to say that failure is bad. In fact, failure has enormous positive benefits. And I think when we understand that, then again, the fear kind of naturally diminishes, which is the exciting piece. Well, I know there are lots of great stories in your books from the people you interviewed, but is there one that sort of stands out that's really poignant about sort of failure and really almost being a success, if you will? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are so many that come to mind. I was really touched by the people I interviewed because all of the interviews felt like conversations. I felt like these people were extremely candid, extremely open in a way that meant so much to me. So there's really not just one story that my mind goes to, but one of the stories is actually of Cory Booker, who was mayor of Newark, New Jersey at the time that I interviewed him. And then of course is the United States Senator from New Jersey right now. Presidential candidate. Exactly. For the Democratic nomination. So first thing that he said, and he ended up talking about losing mayoral race and some other professional failures, but he said, you know what? My mind just went back to seventh grade and to one of the most humiliating experiences I've ever had. He said he ran for a class president, and he said he took it really seriously, and he stayed up all night working on his campaign speech, and he he was kind of joking that, you know, all night, which basically meant staying up till 10 p.m. or something like that when you're in seventh grade, but that he took it seriously, and he worked really hard on it, and he kind of also thoughtfully chose who he wanted to be as vice presidential candidate and all these kinds of things, put a lot of effort into it. He got up there in front of the class the day of the speech, and he froze. And he said he was literally shaking and he was shaking on his paper and he froze and he tried to get words out and he couldn't. And he tried again to get words out and he couldn't. So he's just standing up there shaking, looking out at people. And some people are kind of giggling and some people are confused. And finally a teacher comes up and kind of tries to calm him down and tries to get him to read his speech, which he had written out so diligently. And he just couldn't do it. And he hadn't realized until that moment that he had this terrifying fear of speaking in public. So he literally, I mean, you kind of think like, oh, this is going to go, oh, he had to take a few deep breaths and then he delivered the most amazing speech ever. That's not what happened. He actually stood up there. They tried to get him to calm down. He kept trying to talk and he couldn't. And he went and sat down and that was it. Right. And of course, there isn't anyone who hasn't, you know, whatever your political affiliation. I mean, he is a great orator. So that's the thing. I completely agree. And it's not about like what your political orientation is. And it's actually interesting because I think seeing the more of the personal side of him, I've heard several people who are Republicans as well as Democrats say that they see him in actually a better light, that they see him in a different light. They really liked him more or even more from reading this book. But and I think part of it is just the personal candor that he brought to the story. But like you said, he is a powerful public speaker now. And he said at that moment that he realized, oh my gosh, I have this debilitating fear and I want to change it. I want it to be different. So he said that that was the moment when he started working on that. And that kind of led into him being who he is now in terms of powerful speaker. And I think that that's such a wonderful example, because like you said, I mean, people who go and see him speak are like, wow, I mean, does he have any anxieties or insecurities? I mean, he probably doesn't get nervous at all. He looks so calm. 
he's so composed, he's so powerful. And to think that he was shuddering and shaking and had to be kind of led back to his seat for his first speech in middle school is really kind of a powerful message of how failure can be a pivot point and can transform us if we're able to extract those benefits. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's an awesome story. So if you could create this perfect world, you know, what would failure look like? How would we talk about it? Paint the picture. What would that look like? I really like that question too. Um, (laughs) I, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I really like it. The first thing that I would say is just that people are talking about it. You know, not necessarily, I wish we would talk about it like this, or I wish we would talk about it like this, but just that people would talk about it more. I think that's a huge step. And actually, I've gotten on social media, I should say it like that. But after the book has come out, the publisher has highly encouraged me to get on social media, which I didn't do any of that before. So I've been learning a lot about how that operates and trying to use it. And I uh, tweeted a month or so ago after one of the debates with the Democratic presidential candidates to kind of give a nod to ABC News and George Stephanopoulos, because he asked a question that was about the biggest setbacks or mistakes or failures that the candidates had made and asked him to speak to that. And I was like, yes, I was so heartened because I think that is huge because when we don't talk about it, then, you know, kind of what you understand, especially from people in positions of power, because they're under pressure to not share those moments and to not have that vulnerability is that they're not messing up. And so then you see your own imperfect self and you see the mistakes that you've made and you see where you're trying to go with your growth and with your life. And you think, I'm never going to get to be like somebody who really inspires me because they're flawless and they're perfect and they're not making mistakes. And when they talk about those mistakes and those setbacks and those failures, that creates a bridge, you know, from you to them, but also from you to the person that you hope that you're growing into. So I would say number one is dialogue, like whatever that means, just having people talk about it. And at a next level, which would be amazing with having people talk about like the way they feel about it, you know, and that was another thing in the book, the interviewees talked about it being humiliating. They talked about the darkness. They talked about the doubt. They talked about the insecurity. I mean, that is powerful because then that also connects with other people in a really effective way. The last part that I would say to add to that, you you ask about like the nature of the dialogue. So many times when we think about failure, we try as hard as we can not to use that word, right? And so we might say either something is a failure or if it led to something better, then that's not a failure. That's a growing experience. And I'm like, okay, if people want to say that, that's completely fine. That if that works for you and that that's what feels right. But to me, I think you're bending your back or like going out of your way to not use the word failure in a way that will rob the word of its power. But I actually think you're giving the word power by not saying it. Right. It's like, he who shall remain nameless, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And what I say is like a failure is according to the definition in the dictionary, when you have a goal and you go for it and you don't get it. And if that is the case, then that is a failure. And I propose more of a both and scenario than an either or. Both, I had this failure and it led to something remarkable, right? But to use the word, I think this is kind of embarrassing and also dates me, but um, that, uh, what's it, Destiny's Child song, like, Say My Name? Do you know that? Like, say my name, say my name. Anyways, I have a horrible voice. I probably should have never done that anyway. I have been asked a couple of times in my life if I'm tone deaf. So I'm fully aware of the fact that I do not have a good singing voice. But anyways, joking aside, I think of that like, say my name, like say the word. Because when you say the word, 
I think you actually render that word impotent, ideally, right? Or you, you remove more of the power from that word. And the thing that I'm trying to put forth in this book is that failure can actually have phenomenal benefits. So it's a both something was a failure and it had phenomenal benefits as opposed to, oh, if it led to something better, then let's not call that a failure. Let's call that just a growth opportunity or a wonderful enriching life experience. It's like, no, that could have been a failure. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah, that right? kind of sucked. Too. Yeah, that failure. sucked. <laughs> yes, exactly. Before we get to our, our little speed round that we like to do, um, oh, I'd love okay. to talk a little bit about women versus men, because obviously, yeah. you know, On the Dot is all about supporting women and advancing women. Do you think that women experience failure differently from men? And if so, how? And then maybe what tips might you give, you know, specific to women to help overcome and push through that failure? Oh, Melinda, this is an amazing question. And it gets me so excited because honestly, I want to know more about that. I have like a few different long form magazine articles that I would like to write, like do more research riffing off the book. And one of them is focusing on how these ideas relate to women and specifically how they might address the disparities between men and women in leadership positions, like how this relates to women in leadership, because that's extremely important and exciting to me. So I don't have conclusive answers. I don't know. And I'd like to know more. The little that I do know from research and experience. And again, I want to speak lightly here because I don't think that there is abundant research on this. And if there is, I'm not aware of it. I'm not an expert. So I'd love to learn from other people. But that is that women tend to be more afraid of failure in some ways and in some contexts. So I think that that is what I gather. But I would agree with that. And I am an expert in the women's space. Okay. Well, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I so you would say, based on my, you know, albeit an- anecdotal, but many, many yes. years. And I, and one thing that's very interesting and in that I'm kind of exciting research from the phenomenal researcher, uh, Carol Dweck from Stanford University. And this, I think, was from the 1970s, but I did see one research project where she was looking at kind of the brightest boys and the brightest girls and how they responded to failure. And if I'm remembering this correctly, she found that the brightest boys responded to failure by then performing better and the brightest girls performed to failure by performing worse. And so actually kind of speaking to the fact that the most vulnerable to failure might be in this particular research project, the brightest or the most intelligent. I can't remember exactly how she operationalized that, whether it was grades or IQ scores or what have you. So what does that say to me? That says to me that, and this is what the book is about, is that basically for all of us, we might be leaving resources and potential on the table by the inaccurate way that we see failure and that that might be particularly true for women. And that really stinks, not only for women and and those individuals, us as women, but also for society. And to think about how we can get more of that potential, more of those resources, more of that brilliance unleashed, I think that what I'm arguing is a shift in the way we see failure. And it's possible that we might unleash even more resources and potential from women if our hypothesis is accurate, that overall women tend to be even more afraid to fail in a lot of contexts than men. Right. Okay, ladies, you heard it here first, that fear of failure, then you're leaving that brilliance, you know, you're leaving something on the table, right? And we never want to do that because I think that as women, what we're fighting for now is that seat at the table. And I think that next step is then once you get that seat, you can't leave anything and go for it. I mean, that's a ticket. 
Yes. Your voice. That's a word that comes up to me a lot too, is like your voice, your full throated voice is so important. You know, your independent thinking, your individuality, originality, and your perspective are so important. Yes. No, that's awesome. Okay. As we wrap up here, um, I would love to do our little speed round just to get to know a little bit more about you. So we can just quick answer. So what does your morning routine look like? Well, I'm kind of in a transition right now. So, I mean, every morning is a little bit different, but I meditate in the morning, which I love. I meditate for 10 or 15 minutes and it's not just a sitting med- meditation. It's kind of like a moving meditation. And I just try to take time to think about the people who love me and who I love and think about what I want to let go of and what I want more of. And that helps to ground me for the day. And then I love tea and I'll have tea. And then oftentimes I'll have a cup of coffee. So that is a little uh, zen, a little caffeine. I exactly. So what are you currently reading or listening to? I just finished a book called Lab Girl by Hope Jaren, which was phenomenal. It was a memoir by a botanist about her life, including her discoveries and her phenomenal groundbreaking research and her personal life, which I loved. And for the last few weeks, I've been reading Uh, Varieties of Religious Experience by William James. William James is a father of American psychology. And I actually, I don't read a lot of just like straight up psychology in my leisure time, but I've been wanting to read this book and it's blowing me away. I'm loving it. It's filled with truth and insights and it's so thought provoking. And that's what I am wandering through slowly, I'll add. I've been reading it over the course of the past several weeks right now and listening to a whole smattering of podcasts. I love podcasts and I'm not like just stuck on one. I kind of listen to a whole bunch of different ones. So yes, that's what I'm reading. Okay. So what's one thing you can't live without? Oh, I feel like this sounds trite, but it's so true is love. I mean, I think just in all different forms, I mean, that is like the stuff and breath and food and nourishment and excitement of life is love and, you know, friends, family, romantic love, all that is so vitally important to me. So what's one piece of advice you might give your 10 years ago self? I would say that taking care of yourself and having fun and being in nature are vitally important. And so when I say taking care of yourself, for me, that is sleep. Getting adequate sleep is huge. It really is like a magical elixir for so many different things that you know, matter in your life. And prioritizing sleep, prioritizing rest, prioritizing exercise, eating well, and having fun. Play is important. Like play is not something that is, you know, take it or leave it or falls by the wayside when you have too many quote unquote important things to do. Play and fun are vitally important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the show, Becca. It's exciting. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and and maybe find a copy of your book? Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so fun to talk with you and I really appreciate it. You can find out more about me on my website, beckanorth.com. And my book is available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble online. The full name of the book is Your Hidden Superpowers, How the Whole Truth of Failure Can Change Our Lives. And for people in Austin, it's available at Book People. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I do think you're going to start a movement about changing the conversation about failure. So I appreciate it, especially as a woman, because I'm out there helping lead your charge as well and inspire Uh women. So, Oh, yeah. Thank you. And thank you for the work you do. And thank you for inviting me on. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, 
Subscribe to our free daily newsletter and audio brief, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Let us know your thoughts or what you want to hear next from at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're here to help you become the best boss babe you are meant to be. 